So it's almost a shame to miss this beautiful sunny day out and about, huh? Hopefully, you can have all the right questions to make you feel sunny inside by the end of it. <laughs> so I'll do the chanting that we traditionally do before giving a talk. Namu tasa bhagavatu arahatu samma sambhutasa Namu tasa bhagavatu arahatu samma sambhutasa Namu tasa bhagavatu arahatu samma sambhutasa Buddhang dhammang sangham namasami So, very nice to see everyone. And the topic, I never really bothers that much about the topic. I read them once and then forget what. Well, I don't forget the subject. I'm very interested in the subject. But So, the more I try, the worse it becomes. I think that's how it's advertised, isn't it? Yes. I wrote this in jest as part of the titles that we're supposed to offer for those Sunday talk. <laughs> and it's the kind of thing that people talk to me about over the years, you know, <laughs> how we try very hard and it's becoming worse. And I think it's not something new. Most of us go through a period like that in our life when we, when we really do something and try it again and try again and try again and it doesn't work. You know, success we're expecting from this trying is not happening. Or maybe we feel very disappointed after that, and we feel I've had enough, I'm fed up. A whole string of mental states comes together with this trying. This trying that is good. I mean, you're trying and to do something, and you know, it's a way of being willing to do something. Yeah. And there's a trying that is really trying. I mean, you have a good word in English, you know. <laughs> it's a trying that's trying. I was looking, actually, I love dictionaries, you know, so I was looking at. These two words, they don't seem to come from the same roots. <laughs> they don't seem to have appeared at the same time. I don't know how they can be spelled the same, but sometimes it happens. These things happen. So, is trying really trying? <laughs> this is a good question. You know? And then life. You know, so many things we, come, uh, we encounter in our life that takes you to that place of feeling you have to try, you know. So somebody pointed a, pointed to a, you know a, like an example. He said, "Say, well, try to try to lift up this pot, for example. You know, what do you do? You do it, don't you? You don't try. So in uh, trying, in many people, it has a sense of a great sense of um, uh, kind of not a very good, you know, positive." meaning necessary, you know, you just find yourself trying with a mind expecting a lot of things from this trying, and of course by the time you expected so much, so many things, you've kind of given up on your, on your ability to try, because there's too much, the mind is, gets too much filled up with all kinds of thoughts that are not helpful, not really supporting this trying to become an achievement or to become successful, you know. So remember, you know, we have this famous little booklet, book, teaching, Dhamma's teaching, the Buddha's teaching called the Dhammapada. And the first verses of the Dhammapada 
is really the mind is a forerunner, forerunner of all things, you know. All things come from the mind and they are mind-made. So he continues, it's a whole there's a couple of little stanzas like this where he says, if you act and speak and uh, think skillfully, then happiness follow you. Just like, um, you know, the, the, the wheel of a cart follows, the, it's a tradition, it's an ancient India, remember, the wheel of a cart follows the, uh, the, the hoof of, a, of an ox, you know. And then if you ask, uh, you know, skillfully or, uh, you know, um, speak, speak skillfully and you um, act skillfully and uh, speak, act and think skillfully, then happiness follow you. Oh, sorry, did I say misery follow you on the first line? Happiness second, happiness follow you like your shadow that never leaves you. So... That's just an incentive. The Buddha has always this wonderful image that like, makes you, motivate you, you know, to, to, put, to go into actions, you know. I don't know, if you're interested in doing good, you know, the Buddhist teaching is often defined as do good, refrain from doing evil, and purify your heart. This is a teaching of the, all the Buddhas. And this is a teaching he gave to a group of 1,250 arahants. I don't know if I mentioned that to some of you. The first, uh, the, uh, the first, book, the first teaching on the... Monastic discipline began, you know, um, and uh, patience and endurance are the highest austerities. And when he used austerities, he used in, in Sanskrit, it's tapas, it's the same word as in Pali, and, you know, ascetic practices, basically. So it wasn't like, uh, you know, lying on a kind of uh, nail of bed, uh, uh, you know, a bed of, made of nails, or, um, you know, eating every eight, three weeks and so on or doing some mortification kind of practice. But he says just patience, endurance, or the highest austerity. Now, when you practice the past for quite a while, for a while, you realize that uh, he knew what he was talking about. And then his word patience completely, uh, you know, disappear in our mind. It has no meaning. It has very, it doesn't have the power that the Buddha gives it to. You know, it doesn't have this, we don't see it like that. And so the trying uh, business is also we don't have much patience. Remember, we want things to happen, to succeed straight away. And then w when we don't succeed straight away, we don't know how to continue maybe. Maybe we're not armed and equipped to continue the job until we actually can do it, if you notice that. Yeah? So many people have come to me, you know, I tried, I tried, and tried, nothing happened, you know. Did you ever try not trying, not trying, not trying, not trying? See what happens, you know? Did you ever try that way? And certainly for me, it has had absolutely magic effects, you know? Like, <laughs> quote unquote, that was a supernatural effect <laughs> instead of changing things that I could never change myself, for sure, you know? So I'm not talking about magic and psychic powers, no, nothing, you know. It's just things that, oh my God, I, knew, I never thought that could change, you know, something could change, or it could improve or something. Not because I did anything, I stopped trying to make things good, or to do something, you know. Not that I was, uh, my mind wasn't, didn't have that kind of strength, that quality of happiness and that quality of, uh, could you turn this phone off, um, off please? Thank you. It's all right, it happens to people regularly. So, um, yeah, 
So um, this quality of uh, patient enduring, you know, enduring things which we don't like. We're good at grasping at things that we really love, what we want, what we feel we're going to be successful at. And that's how maybe sometimes people don't take much risk in life, you know, or don't take much, you know, don't want to change much because it's more too comfortable, it's too comfortable to really remain with what is familiar, what is really comfortable emotionally, you know. Emotionally, we have a very demanding mind. It's a beautiful mind, but it's, it's quite demanding. If you don't practice with these emotions, you know, you try to maybe, uh, you know, make everything all right, happy in a certain way. But this happiness is not really what changes things. This happiness is just like a foundation to see more clearly. When we begin to stop struggling with something, when we begin to really be prepared to actually uh, look at what is happening, see what, has is hap what is happening, and get to know the means you know, uh, that will help you to um, conduct uh, a, you know, a, a project or whatever you have in mind to do with skill, with a skill of um, patience, with a skill of clear view, with a skill of effort and um, energy that is needed to be patient, and the skill of um, not abandoning what you don't like. You know, the whole society is not you know, really geared up and very kind of uh, tuned in constantly into doing what we like and avoiding all the things we don't like. We don't discriminate into what we like might be actually a, a good thing. What we don't like might be actually, uh, you know, a bad thing. So there are, you know, situations in which our likes and dislikes can help us to see what's really wise and unwise. We don't see just happy and unhappy, because that can really easily lead us astray into the habitual mode of being. You know, I like, I want more, I don't like, I, don't, I, I want to get rid of things that I don't like, you know. So <clears throat> very often we, we tend to think of ourselves, do you think you could stop your leg moving, please? That would be really helpful for me, because I'm getting dizzy. Kind of thing. <laughs> I'm getting distracted, you know, unless it's something you can't avoid. You don't mind, yeah? Thank you. But if you, can't, if you can't avoid it, if you need it, that's fine. I just sort of took the risk to ask you. <laughs> yeah? And so <clears throat> we come to the point in our life when we realize we're not in control and we're not expert at life. We're not expert at living. This is something we, we, we wish we would be known as a teenager, you know. You know, are young, younger, when we know, like, for me, I was brought up and raised in a family where things were beautiful and you're supposed to be not happy all the time, but we never thought about hardship or, you know, uh, it wasn't particularly uh, difficult to live in the environment I was with. I was very liberal parents and uh, had done their own kind of uh, reflections on life and so on, so it wasn't so difficult to live in that environment. But still, what you don't learn in that kind of environment. It's like you don't learn how face life, the material life. I was with very idealistic people around me, you know. And so this material life, you know, has, a, you know, I never have been a mother, I never been a, 
you know, uh, responsible for family or that kind of thing. But you have to do that, you know. Most many of you may have to be responsible for many things, you know. So we're not always prepared for, you know, let's say, um, failing. We're not prepared to not be loved. We're not prepared to not be successful. We're not prepared. We're not prepared. Many things unprepared for, you know. So, uh, you know, you try to make those things work. You try to be successful. You try to be loved. You try to to be appreciated. You try to, uh, you know, be a good person and so on. And then, <laughs> interestingly enough, the more you try, sometimes the worse you become. There's a whole philosophy of that, a whole kind of psychological uh, movement, knowing that, you know, the reverse effect, for example, you know, the more you try, the worse, the less it works, you know. And why does it, you know, why doesn't it work? Because, um, you know, we don't know that. Uh, maybe you know that already. I mean, maybe you have experienced these things already. But to do something good, you have to be relaxed, don't you, at some level. You have to have the mind relaxed. The body might be really holding to something heavy, but the mind is relaxed. The mind is not necessarily happy, 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 but the mind is actually at ease with itself. That's a secret, you know to do something with an inner ease, an inner sense, inner sense of peace, you know. It doesn't have to be, you know, the deepest peace of Nibbana, you know. But, it, you know, you don't have to come to wait to the time when you have let go of everything, you're enlightened and so on. I'm talking about the fact that you're prepared to uh, slow down and you're prepared to actually look at what's happening and you're prepared to, to find out what is my part in this. What is my part in the other person, for example? Sometimes talking about making a relationship work, you know, just as an example. You know, so the the, the let's say the the way the mind is um, structured is like you know, it's quite simple for me after looking at it for forty years. You know, it's not it's not a mystery anymore. It's like. It's a movement. It happens beyond you. You know, when the Buddha says it's anatta, it's not yourself. It doesn't wait for permission from you to become averse to something, does it? They say, sorry, you know, I know you're very happy. You know, uh, do you mind if I'm averse for half an hour because I really can't stand that, you know? No. It just come. you become averse. You may be averse for one day. You didn't plan this, did you? Okay? And there you are, stuck, stuck with aversion. And you struggle, you know, you say, gosh, you know, I mean, the Buddhism, what did he say in Buddhism? You know, be present, be, you know, be really focused on the media. Do you know, realize it's an each other. The more you do this and this and that, the more the battle, you know, increases. You know, it's a law of energy in a way. The more you fight, the more it stays. Once you stop and be disengaged with it, and you, you leave it alone, it goes. Problems go like that, you know. My biggest result is when I decided to give up on a situation. Not give up, you know, through aversion, but just to, basically, I, I just decided to make myself really happy. Not with big things, just feeling happy inside. Maybe that's what happened to you when you become a gardener. <laughs> so, we do have to find ways of being happy in this life. But many people will find, you know, will think they can't be happy until they have achieved their goal. 
Okay, and then we have a goal and we try to, you know, whether it's in relationship, whether it's in work, whether it's with yourself, with your health, whether it's, you know, whatever, whatever. I mean, there are many, many, many examples that you could find in your daily life, you know. You try to, be, to do the best you can and nobody appreciates you. You try to be really quiet, modest, Buddhist, all the rest of it. And then people think you haven't done well enough. Gosh, I think I'm going to give up Buddhism, you know. I do my best. I do everything I can to be kind and compassionate and patient and loving and caring. And they still don't notice it. They still think I've, you know, haven't, haven't made any progress at all. In fact, you're worse. Sometimes people say to me that they're, they're kind of family, you know. You're even worse before you become a Buddhist. Now you've become a Buddhist, you know, before. At least you were friendly and normal. Now, you know, you're all doing all your napanasati while you're talking with me, and really, that really irritates me, just to know that you're just focusing on your nostril, right and left, while I'm talking to you, you know. It reminds me of some, some, some monk, you know, we were doing the nonviolent communication here at some point, you know, we had a group in the community, some people were interested, so we formed a group, and I remember when... One of them was talking to me, and I knew he was doing nonviolent communication. I said, stop it, you know, stop, just be natural, you know, talk to me normal. <laughs> or say, how are you, you know, are you feeling this way? And I just want to kind of, you know. Oh dear, his video there, I forgot about it. <laughs> you just wanted to, you know, do something really unkind. I, I, also, the person was just being kind of kind and responsible and trying to make it work, you know, because obviously he had work for this person, you know, <laughs> trying with me. He didn't know I had the kind of, you know, French revolutionary in me. In me. <laughs> Even after 40 years of being a nun, I realized I'm still rebellious, you know. But that's normal, you know, it's just part of the makeup, you know. Some people have blonde hair, dark hair, dark skin, bright skin, you know, light skin, dark skin. You know, you have the also you have the rebels. You have the you know the, a particular style. Why did the French do the you know kill their kings and queens and establish a republic? You know, the British people would never do something like that. You know, not yet anyway. You know, you're just polite and kind and relax. You know, calm. We call them cool. We see in France, you got cool English people. You know, which is a quality we're missing a bit sometimes. Not culture. Anyway, to go back to trying and not getting, you know, getting worse. We, 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 it gets worse because, you know, I was quoting you the Dhammapada. My, the, you know, the, the mind is forerunner of all things, which means anything that happened to your mind, which is not here, by the way. You know, I want to give you a little shock now. My teacher said, the mind is not in the body. Your body, don't think, is in the mind. What happened to you when I say that? Where am I? Where do I begin and end? Just let that sink in. It's a teaching of a chansomedo, not mine. But that had a profound effect on me. And that's why I'm talking about it, you know. Now, you don't need to think about it because it won't help you <laughs> to find something that's not findable, you know. 
You know, so our mind is much wider than we think. You know, our mind is all around. You know, it's whatever you're aware of, you're conscious of. This is your mind. You know, that's far as it go goes. So you know, let's go back to the ordinary. You want to make a, a you know a, a relationship work with your partner, with your parents, with your friends with you know how many friends you know you've probably felt they abandoned me they're horrible they're nasty they're totally unfaithful to me and totally abusive and all the rest of it and we go on and on and on and on and we think the mind is going to be happy with those thoughts well you might as well you know continue like that and then you you start piling up the garbage of negativity in your, your mind I mean, it's garbage. You know, it's, it's a gar. It's, it's an anatta garbage. It's not. It's not your, your stuff. It's happened in your mind. I mean, in the mind as we know it. But it's not something that you wish to come up, do you? I mean, you don't wish to be negative. You don't wish to be critical. You don't wish to be angry with people. Right? But it comes up. It doesn't wait for us to give to be given permission. So, people have talked to me of this, um, you know, inability to solve their problems, you know, like that. They, after they try and try, they still didn't manage to solve it. I found a very nice quote from Einstein, actually, which I really love. Uh, you know, it's like, you know, when you have a problem, think about it for about 50, 55 minutes, and then five minutes, find your solution. <laughs> Now, it might not mean something. For me, it meant, you know, you can think about it. It's like you don't have to kind of abandon your problems, you know. You just contemplate the problem. You look around. How You know, when you think, it doesn't mean obsessively thinking, you know. I think he meant more. Roam around in your mind this problem. Let's see it from different angle. Look at it from different parts, different sections, different sides, you know. And then by the time you look at that, you know, from all different aspects, not just for me, what I want and what I need and what I, you know, which is usually the normal agenda we have. What works for me? What's going to be good for me? So you open your mind a little bit and you suddenly think, you ask questions, you know, what this happened? What, what do I do when this, you know, what does he or she does, you know? Is there something that needs to be changed, you know? Is there something that's not working for a long time? Is that... You know, that's what I mean, roaming around the, the, the situation in your mind. And then he has what he said in five minutes, find a solution, because this working of the mind can bring the wisdom. Do you understand? The active wisdom, the sword of wisdom. Cut through things like that. Yeah? And, you know, we are so attached to formidable things, you know, like unless I, I, you know, I hear it from a PhD on philosophy, science, quantum physics or something, or, you know, unless I have, uh, you know, the, all the right books and read all the right manuals and so on, I will find it. No, so when I say, don't worry about it, you've got this wisdom inside you, and that's really the most appropriate one for you because it comes from yourself, you know, it comes from where you are, from your life situation, from your life within and without, you know. So this is something that needs to be, um, you know, a kind of um, recognized, not forgotten. We tend to forget that we ourselves have the mean to transform life. 
But most, they say, the, the, the kind of the way we do these things is by remembering old ways, remembering how we did it, how, or somebody else, how they do it. How, you don't trust the wisdom inside. You don't, maybe yet, or some of you may have trusted, yeah, trusted it, but you don't actually maybe spend enough time, patience, and contemplation to find out how to act. I've had people who have had children who are drug addicts, you know. So, you know, they send them to an expensive, you know, uh, center for drug, uh, you know, uh, what is the word technically? The rehab, yeah, rehab center. And then they, you know, some of them recently, you know, um, their son died. You know, just after having been in rehab for a few months, and then this person died. And so they were really, uh, it's, it's really amazingly distressing, some things, uh, terrible. And, uh, you know, at some point, I often give this example that maybe you do everything you can in relationship to having a, a relative or children or something who put themselves in situation where they, you know, from your point of view, there is danger of destroying one's life. There is danger of, you know, walking the path of dangerous path. You know? And you say that to them again and again, you know, and nothing works. Nothing works. They keep wanting, you know, they may be remembering the good effect of rehabilitation center, you know, that where they stop taking drugs for a while, then as soon as they're back into their familiar center, home and parents, and so, then they continue. They find it very hard to kind of pull themselves together and have the strength and the energy and the clear vision of that experience they had in rehab. So at some point you have the parents coming to me and the completely de desperate, you know, and I say, well, I understand, this must be absolutely tragic, you know, to have a situation like this, that you feel so helpless, unable to do anything. And yet, you know, unfortunately, the, the Buddha does remind us that to have the last aspect of love in Buddhism is called equanimity, wa upeka, one of the four divine abiding. Some of you have heard that many those divine abiding many times. You know, the first one is loving kindness, and then you have compassion, the fourth one, the second one, the third one is sympathetic joy, the love for the happiness that the love you feel for people when they are more happy than you. It's an antidote to jealousy and envy in your Buddhist psychology. And then the last one is Upeka. That's more difficult to understand because Upeka has been translated for a long, long time as indifference. I mean, we want to be indifferent in the, in the pain of others, you know, or your own pain. So it's not indifference. It means, uh, you know, uh, equanimity or serenity. So at some point, this is the highest love, the most difficult one. It's a love that comes together with detachment, with letting go of the agenda that has stressed you and maybe even stressed a person who was going through this addiction. So uh, you let, let it be. You know, the person is on deathbed, you know, and you realize they were, you know, they 
causes, the conditions in them causes the result, this result, you know. They could not stop. No matter how much we did, how much the person did, no matter how much they, they tried and tried and tried, the result didn't come as they had wished. And we find ourselves in a terrible situation like this. You know, I mean, I'm sure I'm not talking about me personally. You know, where, where people have children that are being abused by either the father or the mother. You know, the the alcoholic parents or drug parents. You know, so this is really um, uh, very tragic to have, for example, kids in that kind of situation that suffer so much. So you you know maybe one of your partner tried and tried to stop the other partner to do to act the way they do you know to abuse them sexually or emotionally or so on and then it doesn't work and that's so painful I mean it's just like probably the worst thing I can imagine to have a child that is at the uh, you know mercy of such a situation uh, an innocent child. And how many parents have been trying and trying and trying, you know. And the, it, it only happened when it's discovered and often it's too late, you know. So this is what, what, what happens you know, in life. There's many things we try to solve and we are unable to come to actually uh, solve them. But if from the very beginning, if we were already prepared that we try, you know, not with an agenda that... You know, that if I'm not successful, there's something wrong with me. Or the agenda, if I fail, then I'm a hopeless person. If I fail, this person is going to die because of me, because I haven't done enough. If I don't get it right, then it will be my fault. I'll have to remember this for the rest of my life. So this is the kind of mind state that trying, you know, exacerbate. Do you understand? You try, you try. At the back of your mind, in the subconscious, there's always that expectation, you know, if I try really hard, I will get it. Whether it's in a university or college or, you know, if I try very hard, I'm going to get good marks, you know. How many young women, young girl or young boy, I've seen, you know, actually flipping, you know, I don't know if you call it flip in English, you know, but it's like having a breakdown, complete breakdown. They tried and they tried and they tried, to be, you know, top of their class. And uh, the parents con congratulate them for that. You know, it's like uh, the carrots, you know. They, they are good and they get a good sense of feeling about themselves. And they don't, want, they don't want to lose that, you know. And the parents don't want to lose that, don't want to see their child happy for having good results. And then at some point, if you're not careful, I'm always like, I mean, I like to speak about it because if you're not careful, what happened to the child? Have you ever thought when the child is pressured to satisfy the parents' needs and try very hard to really make them feel comfortable in that process of over-trying, over-stressing, overdoing, never really enjoying maybe what they are doing, truly, deeply, you know, relaxing and feeling still connected with themselves to be enough, their natural self, you know. So um, things happen like that, you know, and uh, at some point, to just to simply realize that we are the heir of our karma. Karma means simply action. Karma has a roots, is a root of the verb to do. 
So don't make it more, you know, something special. It's just what, what, what action we do by body, speech, and mind. All right? And so, for example, you may try to help somebody, you may try to help a situation, but you are generating in yourself perhaps an enormous amount of criticism or negativity or judgment, resentment. I mean, you know, we all have that. I see it in my mind. I mean, not trained it to let go now, these things, but it hangs around for a long time, you know, so don't blame yourself for that. It's something that's just come up. You could say we have a word for that. We have a character in Buddhist uh, teaching, which is, for me, so far, it's been quite humorous, because it's presented humorously in the Buddhist teaching. So it's like the devil, you know, it's like the Buddhist devil. You have the Satan and devil in Christianity, you know, and you feel many Christians are terrified by the devil, you know. In Buddhism, we have a different approach. It's not to compare both, you know. I'm not trying to make Christianity this way or that way. No, I'm just telling you the devil, the Buddhist devil, is called Mara. And Mara means death, okay? Like every time a, a, a mental state go, it died, understand? It's not death of the body. It just dies, you know? It just goes away and it's finished, right? And so, you know, um, this Mara, it's really the best definition I found for Mara when I love looking at many different spiritual paths to see how they, how they work and how, what are their similarity or their things that have in common and, or not, you know? And one of the things was, uh, you know, one a good thing was, um, if you want to know Mara, just look at yourself. That's from a Sufi master. So it really makes you okay. You <laughs> feel, oh, well, I'm not that bad, you know, I don't look that bad, so Mara must be not be that bad. So at least it takes away the kind of, the nasty feeling, you know, I'll be kind of, you know, punished by evil, you know. It's simply the mind of ignorance. That's really what Mara is. And this is a Mara that keeps telling you, no, I can't do it. No, I won't be able. No, I, I will fail. You, you know, the mind that uh, uh, sort of set up a long list of, of verbs, thoughts, feeling, mood, stories, that will be what they call, what, uh, an expression that's very common in the States, you know, a self-fulfilling prophecy. You know, we tend to do things and say, why did that happen? But if you were meditating and you had known what you'd been thinking for a few weeks, few months, then you're not surprised that it happens in the end. Do you understand? Ajahnama reminded me of something. I had. I was supposed to have an article for, for the uh, Financial Times. Somebody came. He wanted to have somebody to talk to an interview. So nobody, uh, you know, volunteers. So I say, okay, I'll do it. You know. And then I don't want to say too much because he might be the wrong, probably. But anyway, it, it was quite okay. It was not the kind of thing I, you know, I need. I don't need to go. I don't want to talk about this person. But basically, um, for quite a few months, I said, I just hope this article will never be, in, will never happen. You know, I said, kindly, I didn't mind. I mean, the guy who interviewed me was okay. But part of me said, I, w I wish it doesn't happen because I don't feel. I don't feel that the person has understood this life I was living here. Do you understand? 
And I said, this is not the right thing to do. You know, I don't think it should be. Finally, he disappeared. I don't know where he is, and it never happened. So I just never reminded me, well, you know, you've been thinking for quite a while, you told me, you know, but it just happens. Do you understand? Whatever reason it happens, it's just, it's not, got, it's not uh, published, which really I'm very happy about. So you have to be very careful what you think. And that's what meditation is helping you, you see. Most of the time, we don't have any mirror of what we're thinking. I'm amazed. Some novices have been here for two years, you know. Then they become nuns. Then they do a retreat, and some of them say, I'm, start, I'm just listening to all my thoughts. I say, why is that the first? You know, I saw the other first time. The person is saying it as if it was really the first time she was so clear about her thinking. So it's not such an easy thing to listen to your thoughts. It's not so easy. Do you understand? Yet, that's only when we know what we are thinking that we actually see where we stand in our life, you know. We want people to be good. We expect them to be good. We do everything to make, to make them feel good about myself, about themselves, you know. And yet, what we think about them is not so good. So you have to, you know, in the Buddhist past, you have to take responsibility for what you create. So if you create constantly miserable thinking, then that's what you become. Do you know that? You become what you think. So, with a, you know, with a kind of a positive thinking movement, you know, you start smiling and thinking and, you know, contemplating angelic realm of existence and thinking everything is beautiful and thinking what was a good thing you could do and so on. And then Amara at the back in the same way, wait a minute, you know, I'm here, hi. You know, it's like anger, frustration, resentment and all that. So, the problem with the, this teaching is that they haven't got the, the, the notion of emptiness, you know, of the mind, thoughts, you know, or your, your feeling, all the five kandas, you know, what we call the kandas, which is a description of human being in Buddhism, you know, in two parts, that will just be mind and body, you know. In five parts, it will be body, feelings, uh, perception, mental, mental construct, thoughts, and the last one would be a sense consciousness, the, sense, the six sense doors, out of which you can contact the world. The world is, you see, you see through the eyes, you hear through the ears, you taste through the taste buds, you smell through the nose, and you contact through the body. And you contact your thinking through the mind, right? Thoughts are also uh, uh, are mental objects. It's a sense. The mind is a sense in Buddhism. That's why you can look at it. Otherwise, you would not be able to look at it. So when you look at your thoughts, you become much more humble, you know, because we can be very conceited and think, I've done everything I could, you know, and not even the thanks I get, not even thank you. You, these idiots, they're not even bowing to me. I'm not talking about myself, by the way, but if your mother, you know, was keen for you to give her the great respect, you know. They never even offer me flowers at the weekend. So how do you deal with that, you know? There you go, maybe back into a, a kind of mill, milling your thoughts around the brain and the brain, you know, and she did this and she did that, look, she did that again, you know, and when I was little, she beat me up and blah, 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 blah a whole string of stories, you know, that that kind of create themselves instantly almost, you know. 
And I began to realize at some point, you know, that when, I mean, I don't have this so much, I think I've let go, but still, there was a time when I didn't see it. As soon as I thought, for example, somebody's angry with me or I'm angry with somebody, the whole string of agenda and stories from the past will just rise up. In, in the, in, you know, it's like nothing thing that had nothing to do with this moment. It's thing that Mara was sending all this to make sure that I keep that anger going, you know. Yeah, and she did this, and remember that, and, no, 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 and go back to how many lifetimes? I don't know, man, I don't see lifetimes, you know, in the way people see it. I don't see lifetimes, but I see the mind and body. And so, you know, be careful what you think. Be careful what, and read it correctly, because when you read it, you might think I have to get rid of my anger. No, you don't need to get rid of your anger. You need to see that this anger, as the Buddhist uh, teaching points out, you need to realize yourself that this anger is impermanent, doesn't belong to me, okay, and is incredibly unsatisfactory. I don't think you need to have any doubt about it when you're angry, aren't you? Even though some people, you know, I really love being angry and love being upset, you know. So, yeah? I'm not talking about anybody, by the way, here. <laughs> yeah? So, love being angry and upset. But I think by now, enough people have done psychotherapy and meditation and all the rest of it, maybe to have realized that anger doesn't solve many problems, do they? It just makes you feel ill. It's a poison. Anger doesn't solve problems. But then you have to find new means, you know. The new means, what are the new means, you know, that can help with anger? Many means. One of the main means is, uh, you know, the mind that can communicate peacefully what you want, what you need. You know, sometimes we don't know. We're just angry. People don't sort of don't give us what we need. But we don't know how even how to communicate that. Maybe in your life you need more loving kindness. And some people can be can do everything they can. You know, they try, try, try to be the person that's going to receive this loving kindness, you make other people happy, you make other people, you know, interested and so on, to, um, you know, to invite them to be kind to you. But that's not the way it works, you know. Because the more you try, sometimes it irritates people when you, you, you're too kind with them as well. You feel victimized by this, you know. I'm strong enough, I don't need your kindness necessarily. But I need wisdom. Or I need your clarity of mind. Or I need I need that you see what you're doing in this situation or what you know. So sometimes we get confused by that, you know. So this trying business has to do a lot with uh, you know expectation. And there's a trying, you know, when I was reflecting on this, trying to do something is 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 very helpful. You know, it's not like this word trying. You know, you try to become a better person. That can be done in a skillful way. You understand without expectation. You put in a way. You learn to put the condition in place for these things to happen. I remember when I thought I need respect. You know, and I remember it was simple. I said, if I want respect, I myself need to be worthy of respect. And myself, I have to also to respect others. There's quite a bit of an agenda here. If you need to be respected, 
or if you need to be loved? Do you love others? Do you love yourself? Because it all begins here. Remember, the mind is a forerunner of all things. If this mind here, if this body-mind, have not got the peace and the loving kindness that is needed to be alive and well, remember they did an experiment with flowers many years ago. The more you love them, the more they grow. It was Finhorn yeah, that taught us how love can make cabbages about the size of this room. Well, half this room. Maybe, maybe exaggerating, you know. I come from Marseille, where we were famous from exaggerating, you know. We say the harbor was blocked by your sardines. <laughs> As people say, yeah, I know what you mean. <laughs> I never heard this when I lived in Marseille. <laughs> in England, I heard this. Or in France. Through French people, by the way. <laughs> and so, just going back to the trying, when we try, it's more like we put together, we reflect, what is it that's going to bring about what I want? Without any expectation, because no matter what you can do, you're not the sole actor of your life. Do you understand that? You're not the sole, the, 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 the only controller of your life. You know, many things around, the, around your life have really a lot of power in the way you feel, in the way you think, in the way you act, in a way. And you lose that centeredness, that refuge in the Buddha, Dhamma, Sangha, what you the refuge in knowing, the refuge in developing the quality of Dhamma and, uh, you know, training the mind. This is your refuge. This is a real, you could say, if, there's a, if we want to use the self, like a real mind. Do you understand? The mind that is already aware and still and silent can look at things silently. It can look at chaos and huge amount of noise and craziness in silence. You can even get the message you need to be more you know, forgiving for yourself. Yeah? So... Stop trying at some point. Just try, just try what, to see what happens when you stop trying. I have had an amazing experience when I stop trying to do something. You know, magic happens sometimes. You know why? It's because at some level, when we have, uh, let's say, I'm staying with human beings at the moment, when, you know, you try too much, you know, we are interconnected energetically, do you understand? So when you tr people feel everything you feel, you know, at some level. No, of course, if they're not really connected with you, they, they don't even know you're around, you know. But at some level, we're all influenced by each other, you know. That's what when it comes to Amaravati, people say, oh, it's such a peaceful place, blah, blah. But simply because everybody is taking refuge in mindfulness, awareness, and being kind, training themselves to be kind and compassionate. We're not the great saints, you know. It's not the, the, it's not the idea of turning into a saint here. But you know how to be with a mind that is quite unsatisfactory, let's face it, you know. So you know how to relate wisely and compassionately with a mind that's totally unruly, you know, undecent, and you know, naughty. I have I gave a talk on the 
and the you know the the, the man is a liar. I get told the title was a sweet liar. Tells you anything. If you believe it, you're in trouble. So, sometimes we cling to certain thoughts because we've been told they are good, you know. Like, I must be patient and good. I must be loving and caring. Yeah, you must. But are you? Okay, so you say, well, I'm going to try to be loving and caring and patient and all that. And then you say, oh, my God. What, when you do that, you have to be careful. There's a law of energy in a way. When you do that, I'm going to be careful and kind and loving and caring. You have to be prepared to be tested. Do you know that? You will be trying to be kind and loving and caring, but you may not know the other side of the story yet. And there is even, a, I give an example of a Christian, a Christian story, because I quite like it. It's a monk in a Christian monastery who goes, you know, every time he sees Father Robert, you know, or Brother Robert. I like to find an old-fashioned name, Robert Eldred. How do you have any old-fashioned Christian name for monks in England? Anyway, call it Father Robert. Every time he said to God, you know, kind of run to the, the, the uh, what do you call it, the altar and say, you know, God, you know, when I, every time I see Father Robert down the corridor, I just... I just go red and crazy, you know, you, and my rage comes up and so on, you know. So pray, pray to God a long time, you know, and finally it goes peacefully, it has been appeased by this connection with God and, you know, calm down and so on, and he goes, goes away and so on. And then suddenly he sees, goes down and Father Robert in the distance and he go in immense rage again, going crazy, and he run back to the shrine and he say, why did I tell you I wanted you to, you know, help me to abandon, the, you know, to let go of this rage? And I'm mean, more furious. And God, he say, well, I, I was trying to help you. You don't understand, do you? It's when you face something that you can let it go. Yeah, not is not by, please help me, help me, you know. That can help. It can calm the, the heart down. But if we want to be liberated of this anger, you know, that he needed to be liberated from, you know, from Father Robert, then every time you face a situation, this is when you can decrease the habit of this conditioning. Do you understand? When you see it. And it's hard for us because we think if I have got it in front of me, I won't be able to ever let it go or ever be free from that. Right? So the training like this here, you know, you, you have, did you see the, the surgery here? I mean, every day it's incredibly generous. You know, we are, you know, really hungry, but maybe by the mealtime we have this amazing kind of, at the end it's full of delicious things, you know. And you happen to be on a diet, maybe a sugar diet or a cake diet or whatever, you know. And you can see that's when Mara comes and, you know, gives you all the reason for what that cakes might not be here tomorrow, and it will be a shame to miss it today. I had this with pizza when I was a young novice, you know. I didn't invent this sentence, you know, never. It just came naturally from the universe, wherever. It's like, it's like, like really with the pastels of the French passion, you know. I, maybe it's the last one. 
you know, that kind of, oh, maybe the last one, to tempting me to take another pizza, which often I fell for it, you know. Well, now I can go in front of pizza, I don't even want them, you know. <laughs> but this is just because it's a process of non-attachment to this thought, to this feeling, to the experiences of life in general, you know. And the non-attachment brings a bigger love to life, you know, for life. I still remember a friend of mine in Paris, you know, she had a son who was learning to be a, a, a music director, you know, and um, uh, you know, he was very handsome son and so on, and she loved it. And she was Buddhist, and she said, you know, uh, she had a lay name at the time, you know, and uh, how, oh, she was Russian, so it's a beautiful French Russian accent. And she said, how can I not, how can I detach from my son? I love him. So at the time, I wasn't, I didn't have much, you know, I wasn't a nano in saying, but now I would have said, which I did teach later on, you know, well, if you actually detach yourself from your son completely, he might actually feel much, much better. For one thing, you won't have the mother's expectation on his, you know, energetic field. Second, he won't feel so dependent on you. Third, you won't feel so dependent on him. And fourth, you might be able to love him the way he is, not the way you want him to be. Do you understand? So there's a whole world of liberation that comes to you when you let go of attachment. Well, we are attached to attachment, let's face it, you know. Because attachment is me, and we are attached to me. As simple as that, aren't we? So we need to lose that kind of uh, fascination with me first, you know, I first, my personal, you know, self-centered life first. We need to start seeing the mind beyond the I, me first. Otherwise, it's a misery. I don't think I used to say it makes us laugh in the early years. And they say, when I start thinking about myself, I really feel depressed. With a big smile, you know, I really feel depressed. Every time. So we all experimented, you know, and we all find this was true. You know, every time you feel, every time I was self-centered myself, I felt very lonely, for example. People feel lonely, you know. And I studied my case, you know. And I noticed, as soon as I think about myself, I feel lonely. Try it out, you know, in your life. And then when you start opening to the world outside yourself, you know, beyond, maybe you notice a cat needs something to eat, you know. Then you have a friend there, you know, who is dependent on you, unfortunately, because if it is on your mood, you might forget it until tomorrow or the day after. Of course, I don't think so in England because pets are absolutely royal in here, in, in, in England. If you want to be reborn as a pet, I think England is the best part, <laughs> best country, you know. People, British people, I'm feel so grateful to dogs and cats, you know, because let's face it, I mean, I don't want to sound rude to the British, but I love the British. Now, even considering I could have a British passport, feeling very happy in my heart, you know. Well, before the idea of having a British passport, I was very attached to, no, I don't want, I want to be French, you know, not. So I didn't try to be French. You see what happened? Now I feel, well, I could be English now, <laughs> no problem. <laughs> With a totally peaceful, even loving the Queen, you know, I love the Queen of England. I think she's a great human being, you know. 
And my father was a left-wing type, you know, so I mean, he probably would be moving in his tombs, you know, as we say in French, you know, have <laughs> that expression, remuer dans sa tombe. But by the end of his life, he was more like towards my Buddhism than anything else. Anyway, here we are. So be careful. It goes back, the whole subject of this um, theme is about just check your mind, develop your mind, learn your mind, learn about your mind, and see this not as a kind of weekend prof, you know, weekend affair, or something you do when you feel really totally miserable and under pit. It's, I always say it's the best investment for old age, let's face it. There's nothing else. You know, at some point you get, um, you know, as a, I totally amnesic or dementia or the rest of it. You know, I've already worked it all out myself. You know, it's like, make sure, don't know how to do Sudoku forever. You know, people do, they try to get their mind active and so on. Have a clear mind. Learn how to clear, you know, to bring your mind. And love. Just loving yourself, loving your life. And there's nothing as good as love. But be careful, don't start. I'm not talking love for somebody because you might be in trouble again. You might be disappointed and the whole string of misery might come. Start loving yourself, you know, unconditionally. Unconditioned love. Morning till evening, 24 hours. Accepting yourself totally. All your face, I'm smiling now. It's really nice to look at you. <laughs> well... I feel so myself when I smile. I'm happy. I'm happier. But you don't want to smile just to make other people happy, do you? Nothing more irritating than that. <laughs> now, I've had to do this myself as a senior nun here. I had to learn to smile constantly, you know, to make other people feel less with me. <laughs>